It doesn't matter how many times we've screwed up. And I stand before you as a man who has fallen and fallen and fallen. Uh, I'm an addict. Uh, I've gone back many times and relapsed. Uh, I've struggled with drugs. I've struggled with alcohol. I've struggled with uh, an addiction to pornography. Uh, I've struggled with all kinds of things in my life. And it's in those low points when you screw up, when you do something that you know is not right, and you go back and you screw up, it can feel at that, in that moment when, when you realize you've fallen right back into what you said you were never going to do again, that, that you feel distant from the Lord. But the truth is, guys, and, and the truth that we repeat here at the crossings, because it's hard to believe that God loves you right now more than he has ever loved you before. And you're sitting there saying, it couldn't be now. Couldn't be now. I don't know what you're going through, okay? He loves you more right now than he's ever loved you before. And there's nothing you can do this morning to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And can we get an amen on that, guys? You, you can amen here. It's okay. I promise. We can get an amen on that. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And so what we do is we got to trust in that love. we got to trust in that love. we got to trust in his direction. And guys, one of the things that I think we struggle with sometimes is we, you know what we struggle with trusting? We struggle with trusting God's authority. I really think that's something that we struggle with. Last week, uh, Jake presented a lesson uh, on the real Jesus. And this whole uh, holiday season, we've been in this series called Holidays. Uh, we've been talking about who the real Jesus is and, and how we should connect to the real Jesus. And we've talked about how uh, Jesus, as he's presented in the scriptures, isn't just uh, a, a life coach. He isn't just a, a prophet. He isn't just a spiritual teacher. He's actually God in the flesh. He's actually responsible for creation. He's actually the one who created you and I at a word. Not only that, the Bible talks about uh, him throughout history. We looked at messianic prophecy. We looked at uh, all of the things that the scriptures make uh, in claims about this figure who's going to be the Messiah and what it means for all of us. We looked at uh, a lot of different aspects of who Jesus is and how he operates. Last week, which you got some notes in your bulletin, if you want to pull those out, it's going to have uh, some space for you to take some notes. It's also going to have most of the scriptures we're going to look at this morning on there. Uh, but last week, Jake talked about trusting the Jesus who is not simply the Jesus I want. Okay, and this is a struggle for us. Um, and the truth is, the truth that Jake repeated to you last week is that Jesus came into the world, this, there's a typo here, it should say, to be my Savior and Lord. To be my Savior and Lord. Now, we like Savior, we struggle with Lord. But in Luke 2.11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem. He's a Savior but he's also presented as in charge. He's presented as having authority. And most people, guys, here's the problem. Most people, then and now, will embrace a Savior and reject a Lord. And let me just suggest that you can't have one without the other. As it, as it pertains to Jesus. We like Savior Jesus, but in our independence... We don't like Lord Jesus. You know what Lord means? It means master. In the original language, it means, it means master. It means we relate to him as a servant would relate to their master. We don't like that. We don't like that. But the results of embracing Jesus as Savior but not as Lord are really significant. And, and when I say they're significant, I mean they're significant in a negative way. Uh, if I embrace Jesus as Savior but not as Lord... My life's, first of all, going to be marked by duplicity. And we know this because of the way Jesus spoke to people who were very religious, but they weren't really uh, understanding his authority. In Matthew 23, this isn't on your notes, um, but Jesus talking to the Pharisees is talking about how religious they are and how they present 
themselves a certain way to the public, but then really on the inside, they're different. And, and his point about them is, man, they're just doing stuff for people to see. Whenever we embrace Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, maybe we're going to be religious. Maybe we're going to present, well, I, I like Jesus and I like the idea of him and I go to church. But really on the inside, we've got some duplicity going on. We're not following him as it pertains to all areas of our life. Maybe there's something we're holding on to. Um, secondly, if I embrace Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, my life is actually going to damage the cause of Christ. So I'm going to be duplicitous. In that duplicity, I'm going to damage others. Uh, Jesus said to these Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven of people's faces. You shut the door to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves don't enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. They're actually getting in the way of people who are seeking God. Thirdly, if, if I embrace Jesus as Savior but not as Lord, I'll be doomed on judgment day. I'll be doomed on judgment day. Jesus says to these people in Matthew 23, 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you be, escape being condemned to hell? And when Jesus asks the question, you should pay attention because he's usually not asking it because he doesn't know the answer. He's usually asking it because he wants us to think about these things. He says to these guys, you guys are on your way to hell. What's going to save you? You guys are on your way. You don't want to hear that from Jesus. Like, you don't want to hear that from anybody. You especially don't want to hear it from Jesus, right? You don't want to hear that from him. And so the question this morning is, what does it look like to embrace Jesus as Lord? That's really where I want to camp this morning. Um, and lordship to Jesus is going to show up very simply as submission in my life. Lordship to Jesus is going to show up as submission in my life. Now, I mentioned this word, Lord, that's used as a title to refer to Jesus, is, is the Greek word kurios. It just means master. It means the person who's in charge. When you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is he has the preeminent authority to define life and tell me how to live. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one that's in charge. Now, his time on earth, whenever Jesus was working and ministering on earth, you know, if you read the Gospels, most of us in here are familiar with what's called the Great Commission. In Matthew, those are the last words of Jesus. Uh, it's the words that he shared with his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Now, you've got to think, somebody's last words, they're going to put some thought into that, right? Like, if you knew the end was coming, if you're laying there and you know, this is what I'm going to leave with my loved ones, this is what I'm going to leave with my family, you're going to pay attention uh, and so for him, with these guys, he gives them this great commission. But I want to point out a little section of this to you that maybe you've read over or maybe you just haven't thought clearly about before. But that's right what he says at the beginning. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Guys, what does that mean? What does that mean? I want you to think about this. Whenever Jesus comes and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's in charge. And what is he in charge of? Everything. It's everything. Okay, how many of you guys like the Marvel movies? Did you go see Spider-Man? Okay, anybody seen Spider-Man? I love Spider-Man. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm sorry. If you've been on the internet, you already know there's a multiverse, right? Okay. If Jesus was in the Marvel Universe, he'd be in charge of all of them. It's cosmic, right? Whenever we say Jesus is in charge, we don't just mean he's like the Pope. Like he's just in charge of the church. No, he's in charge of everything. Every country that has ever existed is like dust in the wind before him. Our planet, guys, he's in charge of Earth. Not only that, he's in charge of the universe. He's responsible for the creation of everything. He's the, he's the one who made the stars and the moon. And the, he's God. That's how Jesus is presented in the scriptures. He is God. He is the creator. It's one of the things we've been looking at in this passage as we've been looking at all the Bible passages that present Jesus as creator. He's that kind of authority. Whenever he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that means just what it says. All of it. There is no greater power. There is no one in charge above. He is it. 
Okay? He is it. In Philippians, uh, this is on your notes now, this is a passage that's referring to uh, the end. You know, the Bible teaches Jesus right now is in heaven with all of the power of God. He is looking down here. He is someday going to come back. And when he comes back, he is going to ultimately make things right. This is where the books are going to be balanced. When Jesus comes back, all evil is going to be taken care of. All of us that have been redeemed are going to get to be with him. He's going to make everything right. The earth is going to be redeemed. We're going to get to be with him for an eternity in heaven. But that, that first little picture we get of what it's going to look like when he comes back. This is a little glimpse of Philippians 2. It says, so that at that time, or excuse me, so that at the name of Jesus, this is talking about when he comes back, every knee shall bow in submission. Guys, does it say there will be some knees that don't bow? Does it say when Jesus comes back, there's going to be some sitting back saying, see, I told you, he's not in charge. No. It says here, when Jesus comes back, every knee will bow. You want to know what that means? That means your knee. That means my knee. That means the knees of those that haven't been born yet. That means the knees of those that were in the past. That means every knee. You know what? When it says every knee, it just means every knee. Now take that to its logical end. Did those knees exist before, or will those knees exist in the future? It does not matter. They will bow. Okay? Every knee will bow. Those that are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Guys, angels, demons, humans, anything in between that we left out. Every knee will bow on earth and in heaven and under the earth. Guys, anything with conscious thought is going to bow before him and that every tongue will confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what? That Jesus Christ is what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Master. Jesus is in charge. You say, I don't believe that. You will. You will. You say, I don't right now. Well, the retirement plan's better if you choose to now. Because you may not bow your knee now, but you're going to bow your knee. One way or the other. You want to do it now. Right? But this is the way he's presented. And I, this, there's two passages here now where he's presented as being cosmically in charge. Not just in charge of the church. Not just in charge of some religion. He's in charge literally of everything. Everything. Every aspect of creation. That's the way we need to see his authority. Whenever I approach Jesus, guys, when you approach Jesus, you're not just approaching a life coach. He's not just some teacher that was kind, that everybody gets along with. Guys, you are approaching God. Whenever you're reading the words of Jesus, you're reading the words of God. Whenever Jesus gives you a command, you're getting a command from God. That's who he is. That's how in charge he is. That's how you need to see him. And if Jesus is my Lord, he's going to determine how I think, number one. He's going to determine how I think in the world. If he's my Lord. Now, if he's not my Lord, I'll go into business for myself. But if he's my Lord, if I'm submitting to him as Lord, if I'm saying, Jesus, I believe you are in charge and I'm going to listen to you, I'm, I'm going I'm to listen to what he says. I'm going to adopt his way of thinking. Now, I want to say he's the only one qualified to tell you how to think. There may be others that come along and want to tell you how to think. In fact, has anybody in here ever had somebody come and try to tell you how to think before? Everybody's like, yeah. Okay. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Whenever Jesus does it, it's good. Whenever we let Jesus do it, it's good. He's the only one qualified. Why? Because he's not from here. He's not from here. It says in John 8, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, look at this, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees didn't like this. 
What do you mean you're the light of the world? The Pharisees challenged him. They said, here you are appearing as your own witness. You, your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. Look at this. Here's the case he makes. I'm going to give you a word from the Lord. My testimony is valid. Why? Because I know where I came from and where I am going. Where did he come from? Where did he come? Guys, Jesus was in, he was in heaven. You and I, where did, where did our start begin? When we were born, right? When we were conceived. That's where our lives began. Jesus, no. When, when we say, uh, when God, you know, when, when we say where, where did God start? Well, God didn't start, he just is. Can you wrap your mind around that? Okay. Jesus was not created. Now, there are some false religions out there that will teach that Jesus was created. Uh, Jesus was just a created man. He's just a prophet. He's just uh, uh, our older brother, as it said in Mormonism. Uh, guys, that's not true. That's not true. Jesus, as presented in Scripture, is, he, he just is. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all the same God. He just is. So whenever he says to these Pharisees, you don't know where I came from. I'm able to come here and share with you because I'm sharing with you things that I know because of who I am and where I come from. He says, uh, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going, you judge by human standards. But he continued, you're from below, I'm from above. You're from this world, I'm not of this world. Did you know Jesus said that? Did you know this is how he defended his authority and his ability to share spiritual instruction with us? His case that he made is, I didn't start here. I'm from outside the system. Now. Had a scientist explain to me one time that you cannot explain a system from within a system. And he went into uh, lots of big words that I'm not going to get into this morning to explain why this was true. He was trying to explain you can't understand mathematics from within the system of mathematics. That's over my head, okay? Here's a, here's a little better way for me to understand this concept. If I'm stuck inside a painting and I'm a little bitty thing, I can only see the little bit around me, right? I can't see the big picture. But if I'm outside of that and I'm able to see the big picture, that reality is going to make a lot better sense to me. Does that make sense? And that's kind of like what it's like with Jesus. You and I, we're born in this world. This world is all we know. Uh, we, we know uh, this realm that's governed by time and space. We know matter. We know light. We know dark. We know, we know certain things. But then you've got the one who cre actually created all that and made up the rules. Okay? He actually made up the rules. And he comes and he says, you think you know your reality, but I know your reality better than you. Let me explain it to you. And then somebody comes along and says, who do you think you are? And he says, well, I'm from outside the system. In fact, I created the system. I'm the only one that can define the system for you. When I say Jesus should affect how we think, he is the only one qualified to tell us how to think. Whenever you're looking at the teaching of Jesus Christ, you are looking at the teaching from the only man ever to walk the earth who didn't come from inside the earth or from within the system of the earth. He's from outside. He's greater than. When you listen to his teaching, you're listening to the teaching of the only one qualified. Does that make sense? And look, when you understand that that way, it helps you to trust. It helps you to trust. And there are several areas that this is very, very important for us to understand. First of all, Jesus should determine what I think about sin. What I think about sin. This just means what's right or wrong. If I want to figure out what's right or wrong, do I just go into business for myself? Right? Do I just make up what I think? Look, I'll be honest. There are things in the Bible that uh, the Bible says are wrong 
that if I were just left up to my own devices and I just had to make a decision about that, I would come out in a different place than what the Bible says, right? Like homosexuality. The Bible says don't practice homosexuality. Well, if somebody wants to, is it hurting me? Or getting high every once in a while. You know, what? using drugs every once in a while. You're not like an addict on the street. You're just getting stoned every once in a while. What's wrong with that? Or getting drunk. Or what about having sex outside of marriage? What's wrong with that? Why, isn't that okay? What if you did it safe? Like, say, practice safe sex. That's okay, right? Or what about uh, any number of things? Guys, there, you just go down the list. There's thing after thing after thing. My job isn't to go into business for myself on those things. You know what my job is? If Jesus is my Lord, you want to know what my job is? So do what my Lord says. And if I get a better idea than my Lord, and I, and I rationalize things away, and I say, well, that's not that bad. Who do I think I am? If I want to come along and, and just make crap up, like I don't need to go to church to be right with the Lord. I don't need to be part of it. I don't need people in my life. I don't need to be discipled. I don't need to be cut. Guys, I can go and go make a list. Who the heck do I think I am? Seriously. Or in your case, who do you think you are? You want to come and look at God's word and say, I know better. I know better. That's really what it is. You know what that is? That's pride. That's pride. You want to wreck your life? Let me give you a guide to wreck your life. You just act in pride and you look at what God says or you look at God's people. When God is putting people in your life to be prophets and prophetesses, you look at those people and you say, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't bring that scripture to me. That doesn't apply. That thing's old. Are you kidding me? Guys, who do we think we are? <laughs> look at the creator of everything. Man, no better than you. No, okay? We need to let him define what's right and wrong, okay? We need to let him determine what we think about salvation. Okay, am I saved or lost? Is that an important question? Yeah. Yeah. Or my neighbor, how, how, do, how, how, do you, how do you become a Christian? How do you give your life to the Lord? How do you function as a disciple? What is the moment when you're saved? Like, where, where can I look and say, okay, there's a line of saying, saved or lost? Like, how do we determine that? Well, do you just go into business for yourself? You got somebody that comes along and says, I want to get right with the Lord. Do you just make some crap up? Or just repeat what your church tradition says without ever checking, like, the scriptures to see if this is what God says or not? Guys, do you know how confused people are out there about how to become Christians in our country? Because we've got these different traditions that teach different things, and very few are just going back to the scriptures and saying, let's just let God tell us. Guys, you get money involved and different people saying different things. We need to let Jesus be in charge of that, right? Very important. Sin, salvation. Thirdly, sanctification. You need to let Jesus determine what I think about sanctification. Sanctification just means set apart for a purpose. This means my purpose in life. You are created with a purpose in life by God. It says in the book of Colossians, in uh, chapter 1, if you want to read a section of scripture that talks about Jesus being God, uh, start around verse 15 or so of Colossians 1, it goes into talking about how Jesus is responsible for creation. One of the lines in there says that you were created by him and for him. Now, whatever it says you're created for him, guys, that means you are set apart with a purpose. It says in the book of Ephesians, we look at a lot, one of our life verses, that uh, you have a purpose in life and there are actually things that God created you to be able to do to help other people. There's works that he has prepared in advance for you specifically, individually to do. There are people that you can help that I can't help. There are people you can reach that I can't reach. There are people that will listen to you that won't listen to me. And God wants to use you to bless those people. He's got a purpose for you. Some of you say, I don't know that I have a purpose in life. I don't know what my purpose is. Well, Jesus tells you what your purpose is. And again, guys, believing that or not comes down to, am I going to believe in his authority or not? 
Everybody wants a savior. Everybody wants their sins forgiven. But when it comes to letting him be in charge and run your life, well, we run from that. Guys, you can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. You get savior and Lord, not just savior. The two go together, okay? And these are very important things. God's word predicts in the scripture humanity is going to move away from acknowledging the authority of God. It says in 2 Timothy 4, a time is coming when people will not tolerate sound and wholesome instruction, but having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number chosen to satisfy their own liking. And look at this, to foster the errors they hold. It says there's going to be spiritual teachers that come along that have large crowds of people following them because they're saying the things that the crowd wants to hear. The implication is sometimes, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes you come here and I say things or Jake says, says things that you don't want to hear because we're sharing truths from scripture with you that sometimes are challenging. Guys, being a disciple of Jesus is not easy sometimes. There are things that he calls us to that are hard. There are things that he calls us to that are difficult. If, if, if he just would make it easy, uh, maybe our church would grow bigger. What do you think? Which, by the way, our church is growing. Good thing. Um, but it would grow a whole lot bigger if we got rid of all that holiness stuff. Wouldn't it? I went to a, I was a campus minister for a long time. I went to a campus ministry conference one time, and there was this guy that came to speak, and uh, he was presented as one of the most evangelistic campus ministers. With campus ministry is college ministry. We go and uh, hang out with college students and study the Bible with them and stuff. Um, but this guy was presented as one of the most successful in the United States because he had all of these people showing up to his weekly event uh, on campus. They had this uh, campus ministry in Georgia, and he had like 600 kids that were showing up to a weekly Bible study. And so I go to listen to this guy, um, and I'm all excited because, like, how, how, do we, how do we do? We want to reach kids, right? You want to reach a bunch of them. How do, how's he doing that? Turns out this guy, uh, for their weekly Bible study, uh, had several kegs of beer and a rock band for their Christian Bible study where the kids were coming and getting drunk and listening to rock music, okay? Now, if you don't know anything about Christianity, you know we're not supposed to get drunk. Uh, here at the Crossings, we don't even hardly drink alcohol uh, because we've got so many uh, alcoholics in our number here. Um, nothing wrong with having a drink every once in a while uh, if you can handle it. I can't, by the way, I'm an alcoholic, but uh, we typically stay away from that just because of all the addiction here. For that age group, it is extremely stupid to offer alcohol when one of the biggest struggles on college campuses is binge drinking. What kind of an idiot do you have to be to, if you're claiming to be a disciple, give that to kids? So all that to say, guys, just, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but was that guy like really paying attention to the authority of God. If I've got these kids that are coming, and I'm supposed to share Jesus with them, and Jesus says, don't do this, and then I'm going to, the first thing, their introduction is going to be, hey, come get drunk with us. That's not producing Christians, guys. But guess what? He had a big crowd. And that's my point. If our goal here was just to draw a crowd, we could do a much better job if that's all the goal was. But if our goal is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who are honoring and acknowledging the authority of God, we're going to do things the way Jesus Christ says to do them. Amen? Amen. Amen. And holiness is something that we've got to pay attention to. But this right here says, guys, there's going to be big religious groups because there's going to be false teachers that just say what the crowd wants to hear. Car for you, car for you, car for you. <laughs> you know, that's not our goal. Um, 
secondly, if Jesus is my Lord, he's going to determine how I behave. Jesus is going to determine how I think. Jesus is also going to determine how I behave if he's my Lord. Um, Jesus lays out his, his expectations and his word. He says uh, in Luke 6, 46, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? This was puzzling to him. This was happening. This isn't a new problem. This was happening back then. Uh, he says that some people claim to be his disciples, but they don't live like it because they don't obey his teaching. In Matthew, it says, not all who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't get to heaven. Did you guys know he said that? Okay. Uh, for the decisive question is whether they obey my Father in heaven. At the judgment, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we told others about you. We used your name to cast out demons, to do many other great miracles. But I'll reply, you've never been mine. Go away, for your deeds are evil. He, he, he points to the deeds here. Uh, he, he points to the way of life here as, as the litmus test for whether, whether they're saved or lost. Guys, whenever we decide to become Christians, we're making a commitment to follow Jesus as, as our Lord. He's our Savior, but he's also our Lord. And when we say we're going to follow him as our Lord, it means we're going to do the things he says to do. He gives us commands. We're going to follow those commands. Uh, if we don't do that, if, if we maybe have a conversion experience, but then we don't really care about holiness, which, by the way, that's what the church is for. That's why God wants you to get involved in church. Because the idea in Scripture is the church is the place where you have spiritual direction and leadership. You need people in your life that are going to be able to help you. Because there are those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, and for somebody that's a brand new believer, if you go out in the world just as a brand new believer on your own, the world is going to chew you up and spit you out by yourself. You need to get involved with the church. And, and get involved in those relationships. Um, that's part of how we learn to obey. But when we don't have that, guys, we will just be religious people that will not really follow through on the obedience part. But guys, the deeds are so important. This is why we need each other. And he says very clearly, there's not going to be any reward for religious people. There's not going to be any reward for religious people. When I say religious people, I just mean people that maybe go to church, but they're not really disciples, guys. There will be great reward for disciples who do obey. He says in John 8, 51, Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will what? Will never see death will never see death. You say, well, does that mean I won't physically die someday? Uh, you'll physically die, but then you get to go be with the Lord, the source of life. Hell is presented as the second death, and that's what he's referring to here. Hell is separation from the Lord. It's separation from life. It's separation from all things good. Uh, there's debate sometimes over whether is that eternal conscious torment, uh, I'm not sure about all the details. I know the punishment in hell is eternal. Some people believe uh, you fade away. I don't know. I know it's going to be bad, and you don't want to go there. I can tell you that. And I can tell you it's going to be final. There's not going to be a second chance when you get down there. Like, he's going to come and, well, let's, let's, let's take another swing at this. No, it doesn't work like that. Swing and a miss, it's a swing and a miss. You want to get right with the Lord and be with him. And there's going to be great reward for disciples who obey. So the question last that I want to end with is, where do I start? Uh, man, if you want to get right with the Lord, look at Romans 10. What do I need to do to be saved? Salvation starts with calling on the name of the Lord. It says in Romans 10, 9-12, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. And then in verse 13, he's going to quote from the uh, book of Joel 
in the Old Testament. That's why you see quotes around this. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, uh, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me ask you a question, okay? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, but don't do what he says, do you believe Jesus is Lord? Yeah, that's the right answer. No, okay? You guys didn't sound very confident of that. Let me walk this back, okay? If I say Jesus is Lord, but then I don't do anything he says, is Jesus my Lord? Okay? But I said it. Okay? I said it. The implication here is if you say it, you actually mean it. I'm pointing that out because I'm talking to a room full of people. Many of you in here have had some kind of conversion experience at some point in your life where you went to a church and they said, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, say this prayer. And part of that is confessing that he's my Lord. But then you lived your life after you said that prayer. And, and did you really change anything or did you? Okay. Maybe you went through a phase, but you see what I'm saying? You got to follow through. The implication here is if you say he's Lord, you're going to live like it. Okay? What if he tells you to do something else? If I confess that Jesus is Lord and then he tells me to do something else, and I say I don't have to, like baptism. You know, there's some people that say I don't need to be baptized to be saved. Did Jesus tell you to get baptized? Hey, church, did Jesus tell you to get baptized? Yeah. Yeah? Is he your Lord? Okay. But what if you say, I don't want to. I don't like water. Especially that water. What's that? How long has that been up there? Has that been treated chemically? Has it, has it been treated chemically? Well, looky here. We got a little shark thing. It, it has been treated chemically, but I don't like that. It's wet. Look, at it, it's, on my, it's on my hand. Get that off of there. I don't like that. It's wet. I don't like liquid. But you said Jesus is Lord. Well, most of the time he's Lord. Oh, really? You know what? Some of you in here, you know who I'm talking to. You say Jesus is your Lord. You know what that means? It means you do what your Lord says. And when you say, I don't like that. You know what I tell my kids? When I tell my kids, go clean your room. And they say, I don't like cleaning my room. You know what I tell my kids? Do what I said. I don't care what you like and don't like. Did I ask you what you like and don't like? You are welcome to offer up your opinions to me of what you like and don't like as long as you're doing what I say. Get your butt in there and clean your room. I don't put up with that. Guys, God doesn't put up with that either. You are his kid. Some of us are grown. Some of us got a lot of gray and white hair. You're still his kid. And he's going to treat you like his kid. He don't care if you don't like it. You do what he says. And what God will do as we learn to obey him, even when we don't like it, is he does a work in our heart. He makes us, we get a little closer to who we were created to be. Because we're a little closer to who Jesus modeled for us. You guys realize that's why he came to earth, right? He came to earth just to show us how to be. How to relate. Man, he sat in the garden before his crucifixion and sweat blood because he didn't want to go to the cross, but his prayer was not my will but yours be done, and then he did it. You think he wanted to go to the cross? And some of the stuff we get bent out of shape about, guys, is so insignificant compared to getting crucified. But we will make mountains out of molehills sometimes. I don't want to get up and go to church. I'm tired. Man, get over it. He died on the cross for your sins. You can't get out of bed? Really? 
come on. We can do better than that. Romans 10, though, that last little part where it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. One of the reasons there is a tradition of uh, sinner's prayer, which, by the way, guys, the sinner's prayer, uh, that is a, a, a way to become a Christian that's presented in a lot of religious traditions in our country. It is a new thing. It started within the last hundred years, really with the arena movements. We had guys like D.L. Moody that were famous evangelists back in the 30s and 40s traveling around, filling up arenas with people. When you have 5,000 people responding at the end of a sermon, how are you going to baptize all those people? Well, let's come up with a better way. Let's, instead of baptizing them, let's just have them raise their hand and repeat a prayer, and we'll say they're saved then, right? And so that's where the sinner's prayer took off was in the arena movements with D.L. Moody. Later on, there was a fellow that came along named Billy Graham. You guys heard of Billy Graham. He took it to a whole nother level. And you want to talk about one of the most influential people in modern church history in our country, Billy Graham's it. The reason you have so many modern denominations that are so influential all over the world now doing the sinner's prayer as a way to become a Christian is really because of D.L. Moody and Billy Graham in the United States. And our influence, like tentacles, has spread everywhere. Um, they point to this passage, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is how you do it, right? And it makes sense. I want to share, I want to point something out to you though, that maybe you haven't seen before. And if this is new to you, or if you need to study it more, I want to invite you to study the Bible with us. We can show you. But in Acts 2, um, which Acts 2 is one of the most important passages, one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Because in Acts 2, it's where the church started. Uh, so much of our understanding of what the church is, what the church is for, uh, where the church came from, it comes from right here. In the book of Acts, Jesus has, he has died, he has uh, been buried, he rose again. At the beginning of Acts, he goes and is with his disciples uh, for a period of about 40 days, um, teaching them about the kingdom. He's opening their minds to the Old Testament scriptures. He's helping them see how he is connected through all of these uh, various things throughout the whole Bible. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The entire thing is about him. It is his story. Uh, it, it, it's all about him. But he tells these guys, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait, and I'm going to send the counselor to you. And then he literally flies away in front of them, okay? Like, they're standing there talking to him. He gives them this commission, and then he ascends into heaven, and they're standing there like this until he's gone. Like, they're dumbfounded, right? Which I don't know about you. None of my friends have ever flown away from me in front of my face, uh, but I would probably be like, like that too. And so they're all standing there like this, and then all of a sudden, an angel shows up and is like, what are you guys doing? He told you to go to Jerusalem and wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. So they do. And so there's 120 of these folks in Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, Jesus had not been gone long. They're down there praying. They don't know what's going to happen. And they're, they're praying in this upper room of this house in the middle of Jerusalem. And this is uh, during... Uh, the, the, the festival of Pentecost. And so uh, for Jewish holidays, when they had a Jewish holiday for good Jews, they would go back to Jerusalem to the temple to celebrate the holiday. Jesus had been crucified over the Passover holiday prior to this. So this huge Jewish crowd had been present at Jesus' crucifixion. That same crowd that was present at Jesus' crucifixion is now back in Jerusalem for the holiday of Pentecost. And so God chooses this time with the group of people present that were there yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, to send the Holy Spirit and make a scene. These folks are praying, 120 of them, all of a sudden there's this really loud boom, like thunder. And then everything just lights up, and fire comes down from the sky, goes into the windows of the house, where they are, and, and, and just like lights them up. And all the crowd outside hears this sound. They see this light. They see the fire. And they're like, what is that? Which they had in their history 
traditions of God doing things like this. God would show up in fire, and uh, the pillar of fire. God would sometimes, through the prophets, do things with fire. There was some cool stuff. And so the Jews are like, we know what that is. Let's run over there and see. So they all run over there, and they know God's doing something. And, and what's crazy is this crowd of Jews is from all over the known world. They spoke different languages. And so when this fire envelops the disciples and they come out and they start talking, you want to know what crazy thing happened? Whenever the disciples, the ones with the fire, would talk, all of the people were understanding what they were saying in their own languages, and it didn't make sense to anyone. Like, what is going on here? Some people who were made fun of stuff, we call them mockers. Uh, do you guys know anybody that just makes fun of everything? It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, that's called a mocker. Uh, that's not a good thing. Don't raise your hand. Um, some people came along and said, oh, these guys are just drunk. Well, Peter says, no, they're not drunk. And I'll pick up in the passage here. It's only the third hour of the day. This is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel, which Joel was that Old Testament prophet, right? That everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm skipping a little bit here. Okay, he's getting into what is unfolding here is from God. This is in fulfillment of Joel. One of the things that is said is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the fulfillment of that here. He says, uh, let all Israel, in verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? Guys, remember, this is the crowd that was present at the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter's presentation to them, to this crowd, was, You knew he was from God. You hung him on a tree. You saw the miracles that he did. You killed him anyway, but God brought him back from the dead, and he's in charge of everything. That fire that just came down from heaven, well, he sent it. Now, if you killed the one who just sent the fire from heaven, how might you feel in that moment? What if he sends some more fire down for me, but it doesn't make me speak in tongues, it makes me burn up? You know, that might be where my mind went. They asked Peter, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter responds, verse 38, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the what? For the forgiveness of your sins. Does that sound important to you? Okay. And you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now there are some that I have heard argue, and this is crazy. I've heard Bible scholars argue this was just a command for this crowd. It was just for the people in Acts 2. This idea that you need to be baptized and, and, and that's how, you know, repent and be baptized, that's where your sins are forgiven, that's when you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that was just for them. I've heard that argued, and what's crazy is, just keep reading, guys. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Do you guys know what says that? And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. Guys, they asked, brothers, what shall we do? We have offended God. We have acted outside of God's will. What do we need to do? And Peter's response is, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Is that confusing? No. It's really straightforward and simple. But if you go into the average church in our country today... Go to five churches, you're going to hear five different things. Okay? My, my advice is, why can't we just take the Bible and do what it says? What do you think? Let's just take the Bible and do what it says. Let's just let the Bible define this for us. The Bible says this is how you become a Christian. This isn't on your notes, but in 1 Peter 3, um, guys, baptism is not about 
getting dunked in water. It's not about ceremony. It's about your heart. That's first and foremost what it's about. Uh, Part of why it's so important to obey God whenever God says, give this up, do this or don't do this, our obedience shows where our heart is. If I say Jesus is my Lord, but I don't do what he says, my heart is not behind that statement. If I say Jesus is my Lord and I do do what he says, my heart is behind that statement. It's it's a litmus test. We prove it by our deeds. Uh, But it's not about the water. It's about that commitment and following through. Um, This is a little awkward. I'm going to start in the middle of a sentence. But uh, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Okay. What Peter's going to do here is he's going to use the illustration of Noah and the ark and the flood to illustrate what Christian baptism is for us today. He says, uh, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, talking about in the ark of Noah, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water, talking about the floodwaters of Noah, The floodwaters of Noah symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Some people say, does baptism have anything to do with salvation? What does this say? This right here says, baptism now saves you also. In the early church, guys, um, the, the line between lost and saved was baptism. In, in the first century, guys, we have church history, recorded testimony of how they viewed baptism and things like the Didache and other extra-biblical writings where we can look at history and say, what did they think about this? Baptism was the line in the sand. Baptism was, it's a ceremony that they went through, but it was before my baptism I was lost, after my baptism I was saved. Why? Because that's where my sins were forgiven. That's where my sins were washed away. That's where I was given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was their understanding. Now, if God wanted to operate outside of that, God God can do whatever he wants. Will God save people that haven't been baptized? Who am I to say? Like, that's not my business. I'm not the authority. He is. He gets to make that decision. But what I can tell you is when I have somebody that comes and says, how do I become a Christian? I would be stepping outside of the authority of Scripture to say something other than you need to repent and be baptized. That's what this presented here. And it's tied to salvation. For those that say baptism has nothing to do with salvation, what does this say? Okay? How do you get around this? It says right here it has something to do with salvation. It says baptism now saves you also. I know Greek. I can go back and read this in the original language. If somebody comes along and says, it doesn't really say that in the original language. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It says this exactly. Okay? Uh, But he goes on to say it's not about the water. It's not the removal of dirt from the body. But look at this. But the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what your baptism is. It's a pledge. It's saying, I'm going to follow Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. I'm going to give my life to him. That's what you're saying in your baptism. It's like a pledge of allegiance to Jesus. And that word allegiance, there's confusion sometimes about what faith is. Some people, when they think the word faith, they just think belief. Man, allegiance is a better word to to encapsulate in English what, what the biblical concept of faith is. Uh, It's allegiance to Jesus. Your baptism is like your pledge of allegiance to Jesus. You do it one time and you do it for life. What you're saying is, I'm giving my life to Jesus as my Lord for the rest of my life. Does that mean I'm not going to struggle? No, you're going to struggle. Does that mean I'm not going to mess up? Well, you're going to mess up. What do you need to do when you screw up? You need to get up, dust yourself off, and try again. And the awesome thing about Jesus is his grace covers the skies as long as we're committed to following him. Guys, you can walk away from him. You can walk away from that pledge. But man, it doesn't make sense to. It doesn't make sense to. And this is presented as the moment we're saved. One more thing, guys. Uh, 
calling on the name of the Lord. Whenever we read that in English, you know, if I want to, if I want to get saved, I need to call on the name of the Lord. Okay, we read that in English and we think we need to pray. In Acts twenty two sixteen, uh, in Acts twenty two, Paul is sharing his uh, his testimony with a crowd. I want to point something out to you that maybe you hadn't seen before. This is what Ananias, the guy God sent to Saul, who would become the evangelist Paul, this is what Ananias said to Paul uh, after he had shared uh, what God had sent him there to share with him, and now it was time for Paul to make that commitment to follow Jesus. He said, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away calling on his name. The biblical prescription for calling on the name of the Lord is baptism. It's Christian baptism. Whenever Romans 10 says, uh, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, Paul was writing to a group of people who had already been baptized. Um, And so what we teach here at the crossings is in line uh, with our understanding of what God's will is, when it comes to having people give their lives to him. Um, I'm making a big deal out of this this morning, guys, because doctrine is important. Uh, It's important that we stand on the authority of Scripture as as we're teaching. It's important that we be meticulous in going back and making sure what we're teaching is right in terms of of doctrine. Uh, And so honestly, what I'm presenting here about this particular subject is in line with what most of the world teaches. It's just not in line with what most of the churches in the United States teach because we have our own religious traditions that honestly we treat like are more important than the scriptures sometimes. And there's money involved and, you know, when you get denominations uh, and boards of people and there's certain things you got to teach and if you don't teach this, we're going to pull your funding and guys, I've run into that. Uh, with some of the organizations I work with, and uh, it gets kind of crazy sometimes. We just want to be a little simple church here that's doing what God says. And I firmly believe that the best life any of us can have is wrapped up in how we relate to Jesus Christ. And if we relate to Jesus Christ as our Savior, but not as our Lord, we ain't doing it right. But whenever we wrap our minds around, man, he's my Savior, he wants, he wants to restore me, he wants to redeem me, he does restore me, he does redeem me, but then also, he's my Lord. That means he knows better than I do. That means when he tells me to do certain things a certain way, I need to do certain things a certain way. When he tells me to stay away from that, I need to stay away from that. When he tells me I need to run to that, I need to run to that. When he tells me I need to be part of a church, I need to be part of a church. When he tells me I need to be discipled, I need to be discipled. When he tells me I'm screwing up, I need to not go into business for myself and say, nah, this is not a big deal. We need to listen to Jesus and let him be God because that's who he is. He gives you and I the free choice on whether we're going to act on that or not. That is part of being created in his image. We have the full capacity to be as smart or as stupid as we want. We'll have to reap the consequences of it. But he gives us that capacity. I want to ask you and plead with you this morning in your capacity to make a choice, to make a good choice this morning. There's a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. I want to invite everybody to pull that out uh, as we close today. Uh, We always want to give you an opportunity to respond. Um, And uh, you just need to ask today, guys, what, what do you need help with? Some of you in here, you're just investigating faith. Uh, welcome. We're really glad you're here. We love, we love having you here. We love getting to your questions and helping you find answers. Uh, if you're just investigating faith and you want to want to learn some more, mark on there that you'd like a personal Bible study. If some of this doctrinal stuff uh, that I brought up this morning is interesting to you and you'd like to talk with somebody about that, mark on there I'd like a personal Bible study. Uh, if you're interested in joining our church, uh, if you're just checking out the crossings, maybe you've been coming for a little bit, but you want to place membership, Uh, indicate that on your card and we'll have somebody get together with you and talk with you. Um, We do study the Bible with every single person that comes. Uh, And the reason that is, is because uh, we want to make sure everybody is right with the Lord. Like the most important question any person can ask is, is uh, who is Jesus? 
And how you answer that question, how you arrive at that, how you act out of that is going to determine so much in your life. It's, it's hard for me to put in words, but that is, um, that's the most important question anybody can ask is who is Jesus and what am I going to do with him? We would love to help you figure that out. Uh, we offer a lot of other resources here, guys. I'm not going to run through a list, uh, but we've got resources for addiction, for relationships, all kinds of things. If you're here this morning and you're hurting, we would love to talk with you and help you and pray with you. You're going to find the crossings as a place uh, full of people that, are, that have jacked up lives. And man, we found some healing in Jesus, and we just want to share that with others. Uh, and we love, we'd love to get to know you and, uh, and be your friend. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song. That's going to give you an opportunity to fill that card out. Um, after that first song, we'll sing one more, and we're going to pass some baskets, and that'll give you an opportunity to drop your card in the basket. Uh, I promise we're not going to send you junk mail. We're not going to uh, bother you. We, we really just want to get to know you, okay? So please fill that card out. Uh, let me pray for us. God, I want to thank you for bringing us together this morning. Uh, Father, as we, um, uh, as we get ready to fill these cards out, I pray that you will help us uh, uh, connect where we need to connect, Lord. There are some of us in here right now that are um, riding the fence, and we know we need to ask for help, but maybe we don't want to because we're scared. God, I just pray you give us that nudge. Help us to, to be brave and to connect. Help us to understand we're in a safe place where nobody's going to look down on us or judge us. People are just going to be there to love on us and help us. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.